where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. I'm John. And I'm James. And today we've got a brilliant episode for you. We're discussing Spellbound, Season 5, Episode 15, aired on the 22nd of January 1987. And when I say this is a good episode, I mean it's a... We've had a really good season so far. This is probably one of my favourite, James. You're a Nick fan, aren't you? You're like you know, Nick Tortelli specials. This episode was written by Kimberly Hill and directed by James Burroughs, so we can owe it to them about the, the scripting and the storytelling in this episode. But... We've mentioned through the series that there's some good farcical moments. This is when the farce is right. They've done the farce well. It's an expert in comic timing and and physical humour. And as you mentioned, Nick is back for this episode, which means Loretta will probably make an appearance as well. But first, the cold open. And the cold open sees everyone at the bar around a a table of chess, which seems a little bit kind of... It's not the, the sports game on the TV that we normally see. It's Fraser. He's bringing in some some class to the building. He regards himself as a sort of undefeated champion of chess, and he's taken on Norm at the time. And Fraser wins. Norm put up a fair fight, but ultimately Fraser won. But Norm had a little bit of help, which he didn't listen to, through uh, Mister Woody Boyd, who, despite not really knowing the name of the pieces, pretty good at chess. It appears he knew how they moved. Went, yeah, just take that piece. The, the horsey. Yeah. The horsey moves in an L shape. You good at chess, James? Depends what you're comparing it to. If you're comparing it to people who've never played chess before, yeah, I could clean sweep. <laughs> but if you're comparing it to like Elizabeth Harmon, then nowhere. Yeah, no, I, I, I may as well give up as soon as I've moved my first piece. <laughs> I wasn't going to go, are you as good as a grandmaster, James? All this time I've known you and you haven't told me you're a grandmaster of chess. I wasn't expecting you to go, yes, I've got several trophies just here. <laughs> I can hold my own against casual players. We should have a match at some point. This is where I reveal my trophy cabinet. But anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing, because this is a cold open that does come back, which means we'll be able to talk a little bit more about this. And maybe we'll talk about Beth Harmon a bit later on as well, if we feel like it. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. <laughs> Keep you on your toes, just like Woody does in chess. But as you've said, Frazier tells Norm what he could have done. And Frazier goes, what? How do you know this, Woody? Because um, he didn't spot it. Mm. So cold open goes on with Frazier explaining that he plays chess to relieve some pressure and Sam goes, ha ha, sleaze, you like sleaze, I know what relieves my pressure, oi, <laughs> and that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, it is, that is basically it, isn't it? Just Sam going, did someone say sex? <laughs> no, Sam. <laughs> hey, I said the farce was written well, that's, that's a bit farcical. Frazier does challenge Woody to chess games in the first scene after the cold open. Do you know what I would like? I'd love it if someone was uh, just in the bar with a slide whistle. Every time there's like a double entendre just going, whoop! <laughs> <laughs> just Al in the background. That's what cheers are needed. A slide whistle guy. As we enter the main episode, we do get Loretta showing up at the bar and she wants to see Carla. Loretta's a bit in a bad way in this episode because she goes, excuse me, I need Carla because I've caught Nick cheating on me. I've decided to leave him. A leopard never changes their spots. Was it a cheetah? No, a cheetah never changes their spots. They never change. Nick hasn't changed his ways. That, that's, that's all I was trying to say. That's a... <laughs> the person who Loretta feels she can confide in in this time of need is the only person who can probably understand this, which is Carla. But she feels that because Nick's cheated on Carla in the past and Carla seems to have her act together, she's a strong woman. She don't need no Nick. 
so yeah, Loretta turns up to try to speak to Carla. Carla says, uh, So you finally found out my ex-husband is a jerk. Well, I told you that before you married the bum. I've done my part. <laughs> it's true. This, yeah. Carla knew all along. There is a moment where Loretta asks Carla, how long did it take to mend a broken heart? And I think this is uh, quite a sad line, really, is Carla says, I'll let you know when it happens. Which kind of gets <laughs> you... Oh, it hashes out some new wounds in Carla, maybe. Or old wounds come... Results the wounds. Yeah, the wounds needed some more salt. <laughs> yeah, keep them fresh. Um, <laughs> so Diane steps in to try and be sort of another backbone in the situation. And we've seen a couple of times where Loretta, Carla and Diane have sort of stood up to Nick. And we see that trio come together again here. Yeah, I mean, what's your opinion on the episode so far, James? This sort of setup. So far, I haven't seen anything new or that I didn't expect because Nick cheating on Loretta kind of a given but I did like the exchange between Loretta and Diane and there's a great line to come home and find out that a loved one has been unfaithful is a terrible blow the best therapy is to tell how you feel about it I'm against it there's also this sort of moment which is where Loretta's saying that She's caught Nick cheating and they say, what have you found? And she says, a strand of blonde hair on his jacket or something. Yes. And they go, you've got blonde hair. Which... She goes, sure, take his side. <laughs> so it does play it off that she, she maybe doesn't doesn't have enough evidence really and maybe jump to conclusions. We'll get back to that later on. Because the fact that she's decided to say that this just a strand of hair, I thought was quite strange when we find out what happened later on. Essentially, Diane's become a little bit sort of mothering and a little bit protective. And doesn't want to see Loretta get back with Nick. She thinks she's better than him. Which sets us up nicely for when Nick enters the bar. In the meantime, to help Loretta, to keep her busy, partly, to keep her on her feet, Diane has convinced Sam that Loretta can be the singer at Cheers. And we've seen Loretta's desire to be a singer previously. Mm -hmm. Nick was her manager. Sam reluctantly gives her a job as the singer at Cheers. For part-time basis, for like a week or something. What did you think of the singing, James? Heavily distracting. And I don't mind entertainment while you eat or drink, but I don't want it too distracting. Not good. Not ideal for the relaxing <laughs> drink that you want at the bar. Loretta singing in the corner. But Nick does eventually arrive to claim Loretta back. This is the line which made me go, why are you mentioning a hair on his jacket? I've decided to forgive you for bursting in on me and Miss Romero in the shower. <laughs> You ought to be. It was very embarrassing. That's not the way you apologise, is it? When she said, oh, I've, uh, Nick, I think Nick's cheating on me. And she went for, I found a single strand of my hair on his jacket. As opposed to, <laughs> I saw him in the shower with another one. <laughs> it's harder evidence, you know. If you were in court, you would start with that. Yeah, you would. And they'll go, do you have any evidence that you saw that? I've got a hair. I mean, there's there's been a few episodes about Nick's magnetism and how he's sort of kind of regarded as this unknown attraction that lots of, and apart from Carla and Loretta, everyone else can't really see it. And it reminds me a little bit, have you seen Parks and Recreations? There's a character called Jerry Gergage. He's got like a, a very attractive wife in it because it's like a documentary style. Every now and then, character, whenever his wife's there, people just turn and go, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this reminds me a little bit because no one really understands the sort of magnetism that Nick has on women. And as soon as he says, like, I've decided to forgive you for bursting in on me and this woman in the shower, Loretta says, sorry. I think there's some gaslighting going on there. Yeah. He is a very strange character. Played 
incredibly by Dan Hedaya, because in Dan Hedaya's other roles, not like Nick at all. He plays the dad in Clueless, and you're like, I'm not going, Nick? <laughs> I recently watched Clueless, uh, and I didn't know he was going to be in it, and that was a, a lovely surprise. In I suppose when we look back at some of his other episodes as well, he does sort of puts on a role quite a few times. Like in the past, when he wanted to win Carla back, he went into like a shell of a man, I'm going to be the janitor at Cheers, and became a very sort of meek and mild. And we see another version of Nick later in this episode as well. It's just after he goes, well, I guess I better get, be going. But first, let me check the time. Whips out a pocket watch and tries to hypnotize Diane. And maybe succeeds. Before we get to that, Sam steps in when Nick's getting forgiveness from Loretta. And Sam's kind of stands up for a bit. And Nick takes this as if Sam and Loretta are now an item. Of course he does. And uh, he says to Sam, you've, you've taken what's mine. I'm going to take what was yours. I'm going to go out with Diane. And that's when he gets down his old pocket watch and starts to do some hypnotism. You say it doesn't work. It doesn't work on Diane. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Time to forget your inhibitions. This is diabolical. From this day forward, there'll be nobody for you but me. You will fall hopelessly in love and follow me to the ends of the earth. Oh, yeah. And bring a six-pack. And then after everyone has left, well, I say everyone, Nick and Loretta, we see someone walking from, I think it's Sam's office, just walking from behind the bar out into the street before he's grabbed and pulled back in because Woody's succumbed to long-distance <laughs> hypnotism. Oh, that is funny. I suppose as we're, as we're talking of Woody, should we get back to the, the chess match of the, since of the century? Woody is now, uh, now uh, like he, what, he's watched a couple more games and he asks Frasier if it's right if he plays a game. And Frasier, I think it's in somewhat of a, a, a cocky kind of way, goes, yeah, sure, you can, you can try and play if you can keep up with me which starts what becomes quite an interesting game, for Fraser at least, because Woody is a grandmaster of chess. I'm going to call him a grandmaster. He'd take Beth Harmon. He's surprisingly good at chess, and Fraser calls him an idiot savant, which was the correct clinical term at that time. Mm. It's no longer the correct clinical term. For example, Forrest Gump is considered, or was considered, an idiot savant, or at least in the book he was. In the mm. film, it's slightly different. Rain Man as well. This regard is probably mm. one of the, the most famous depictions in, in film and TV. But I think this storyline with the chess, I think was a, a really good story, actually, to be honest. And I think it could have stood legs to be an A-plot, to be honest. Because it, it gave Woody an opportunity to kind of be, I don't know, it, it showed Woody in what was... Normally he's quite like dead to the sideline, but he was enjoying playing a game, but he was also incredibly good at it. And it took everyone else on the back foot. And I quite like that. It also illustrates a point we've said quite often that it's not that Woody lacks intelligence. It's that he lacks some cultural knowledge from not living in a city. After uh, Fraser says, you must be an idiot savant, Woody says, yeah, but I cover it by smiling a lot, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is quite a good line. But I, I, I don't know, I think this whole sort of chess battle felt like a really nice sort of moment. I enjoyed it quite a lot. It's one of the first times we see Fraser out of his element and genuinely looking quite stressed. 
I think another time would be the heart is a lonely snipe hunter. Mm. In that, he was doing it for exaggerated effect in order to make a eventual prank. Uh, but in this, he, he was genuinely getting quite frazzled. Well, he, he says to Woody, I've allowed you to defeat me several times, but then says something along the lines of, but a key part to maturity is learning how to lose. So this time I will not let you win. And then Woody just goes, checkmate. And Fraser flips the board. <laughs> There's quite a running theme in it. And the, maybe the last couple of episodes about Woody and maturity, which I think is an interesting topic. Yes. I think given this show, Cheers, ran for 11 seasons, Woody started in season four we're gonna see eight years of this young man's mm. life and i think uh, over that time we'll see a lot of maturity what i do think is quite interesting is how i mean and we've said that sam's almost like a surrogate father and it's flipped the sort of coach sam dynamic but what i have noticed in the last few episodes maybe is that fraser is almost like a fatherly figure to woody as well maybe in this ch- chess match in some ways, maybe, but when Beth was coming back, I'm pretty sure Fraser had a conversation about maturity and a growing point and these kind of ideas. And it's quite nice seeing other members of the bar stepping in to sort of impart wisdom on Woody. And I think that might be why he's becoming maybe one of the most intelligent people is because he has influences from everyone. He's very much absorbing the environment around him, which means he's going to excel in it the most. Oh, yeah. deep deep cuts. No, I definitely agree with that in that he's got a variety of influences. Norm, I think, treats him as an older brother would, but I think certainly Sam, Diane, Carla, Frazier, they are acting as that almost pastoral role, Mm. I guess. But we cut later to the episode when they're all closing shop and Diane's getting a little, little skittish. Mm. She tries to rush everyone out and after everyone's gone, she goes, well, not everyone's gone. I think Carla's gone into Sam's office to get vermouth or something. I think she's been to Count Luke Cash. So she's went into the office or something. Sam's gone to go watch the match on his TV. Diane's left in the main bar to close shop. Enter Nick. Yeah. Nick comes in and I've said he puts on many characters. This time he's looking like 007 himself, Mr. Sean Connery in a white tuxedo. Looking sharp. He is looking sharp and he pulls out his A-game, doesn't he? Violinists. Mm. wine that to me is an a game <laughs> full three course meal with an accompaniment of like 10 people who are all like there to serve on him and diane hand on foot he opens the door and it's kind of like be our guest you know when they sing that and like all of the stuff comes to life and sets the tables people are coming in putting tabletops on clutch is it a clutch you what like a, a serving clutch is it called a clutch the metal upside mm-hmm. down bowl which hides food <laughs> I thought it was a clutch, but there's them. It's very classy. Nick sits Diane down quite reluctantly. She will. She finally sits down to kind of say, nothing's going to happen. You need to stop this. This is something which I found uh, a little bit strange. Towards the beginning of the episode, Diane said, Loretta, you need to leave Nick. Then when Nick starts making advances on Diane, Diane's like, Nick, you need to get Loretta back. Maybe it was just a subtle way to go, go away. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was not not so subtle, really. But it did feel a bit like, this guy's insane. I'm going to pie him back off on Loretta. <laughs> Keep you mad, man. Uh, and that's a little bit what happens. They, her and Nick have a chat at this table that's been set up in Cheers, this fine dining experience. Diane says to Nick, you need to find your wife, essentially. Why are you doing this? If you put this much effort into apologising to your wife, you might be all right. And then Loretta walks in. And Diane sort of eagerly backs away from the table. Nick then tells Loretta this is all for her. How come the cake says Nick and Diane? You know what a lousy speller I am. (laughs) Oh, right. 
But wait, that's pretty bad. But what I did like was, as you've pointed out, how accurate the repetition was in setting up that table. Because after Diane turned Nick down, he was like, oh, I won't need this. And they blow out the candles, take the wine away. And then Loretta comes in and Nick clicks his fingers and they <laughs> light the candles again. It is just by a click every time. He's got a lot of authority. And the violins are playing as time goes by, which is, of course, is well known in Casablanca. Mm-hmm. I think what's quite interesting is how Nick tries to... He pinpoints pretty accurately what Diane would like. He does read people quite well, but I like how he... I don't I don't like how he does it for comical effect, I think it works how he tries to adapt the situation to each person a little bit and tries to make them feel like number one. But what I do like is how quickly they see through it by going, well, X, Y, you did, this isn't right. And he goes, I'm a bad speller. I'm a bad speller. You're like, you, he does have very much that kind of uh, repair salesman kind of vibe. He's like, if you went, the TV's still broken. He went, oh, he wanted me to fix that part. But he does have kind of a used car salesman vibe a little bit about it. <laughs> um, and after Loretta says, why is it said Diane on the cake? And he goes, I'm a bad speller. She leaves the, the bar and leaves him. And that's when he clicks again and they they blow out the candles and start packing away. And then Carla returns from the the back room and and sees it all. And she's she's the quickest probably to notice and like end the dates because she goes, there's lipstick on that glass. And it feels like she's got used to his uh, advances. Shenanigans. Yeah, quite a bit. Again, for comedic effect, I did like how Nick goes, oh, well, they will not get a good review. (laughs) After these three very quick consecutive speed dates, Nick snaps his fingers and is like, take it away, boys, and they all pack it all away. I'll tell you what, we've talked about how a lot of episodes just take place in Cheers. Mm. And in our early episodes, we mentioned how there was a Cheers live on stage a few years back. This would have made a great Mm. thing to see live. Yeah, it's a really nice one. Because a lot of the time we say like it's it's a shame that we don't get to see these dates or we didn't get to see these dates that would take place in earlier episodes. We just hear about the sort of aftermath. It was nice that they brought that to the environment. Apart from the cost on hiring and paying people to play the instruments every night for the production gyms, 10 people standing around just for the one play. <laughs> but yeah, it would have been really good to see. Whilst we're talking about them, should we talk about the, the cast this episode? All I've got is Dan Hedea as Nick Totelli and Jean Kasim as Loretta Totelli. The dinner service staff aren't credited, which is a bit of a shame. That's a shame. But they didn't have any speaking roles, I think is partly why. Maybe. Still a shame. I suppose that's why they cleared off so quick. When Dan Hedea said, let's take it away, they all packed up and they left. Apart from two of them, James, who conveniently stayed in the shadows. Maybe if we stay here, we can get free drinks. (laughs) Maybe we'll get credited. Two of them hang back. And Sam returns to the bar. Diane says something along the lines of, thought you were watching a basketball game. More important than me. He goes, no, I came back for you. And she goes, is your TV broken? And he went, yes. <laughs> well, that's a shame. You, you just missed a TV repair guy, Sam. <laughs> yeah. And she said, oh, that's really sad. And he went, it's all right. It's under warranty. They start kissing. And Diane, very cleverly, clicks her fingers and then you see the two people in the shadows picking up their violins and playing as time goes by. So I guess what we can say is uh, they'll always have cheers. <laughs> the Casablanca reference? Casablanca reference. I got it. You know, I'm up to date with my uh, cultural references, John. <laughs> all, all the modern films. <laughs> 
Ask the trivia bell. I've got a few questions. I'll kick it off, James. In this episode, we mentioned that Loretta does some singing in the bar. What song does she sing to delight all the patrons? Oh, that is a good question. I know the song, but I can't remember it. She sings Mr. Sandman, Bring Me a Dream by the Cordettes. I mean, she, she probably doesn't do it as much justice as the Cordettes do, but I thought that was a nice little musical moment. So there's a, there's a reason why in this episode Carla has to count all the money out back, and it's because Sam was messing up all of the counting because he was a bit nervous about Nick. How much did Sam log they had took in that night? Millions. $32 million. And uh, Sam's response when Carla calls him out on it goes, there was a pretty big party of 10 in the back corner. <laughs> <laughs> what were Loretta's plans before marrying Nick? She gives a quote. I'd like the quote. Oh, she wanted to be a less Mormon version of a famous singer. I mean, I think you get a half point for that. <laughs> I remember the, the joke, but I don't remember the, the actual singer. She said she wanted to be a taller, blonder, less Mormon Marie Osmond. So in this episode, we do get a lovely Cliff Clavin little known fact. The fact that Eddie kind of spews is basically the plot of a film. Cliff was very ahead of his time. Do you remember what the fact was? To give me the film, I might be able to. It was basically, he, he said, Interstellar, the plot of Interstellar. Oh. Cliff's been doing his, his research on space travel. And he said if he was at a spaceship going the speed of light for 10 years, when he returns, he'd be 10 years older, but everyone else would be 80 years older. That is indeed the plot of Interstellar. And when, when he says to Norm, would you realise the ramifications of that? Norm goes, yeah, you'd be the best player on our softball team. Last call at the bar, James. I think I know what I'm going to be uh, saying for our drinks. A big bucket of wine? No, how could it be anything other than the six-pack that Nick told us to get himself? You're going to follow him to the ends of the earth with that six-pack, <laughs> yeah, aren't you, Yeah, that's, that's the plan. How could it be anything? I was looking at that pocket watch like... How could I not? What's also interesting about this episode is that it was... You've heard the phrase backdoor pilot? I have. And this was not quite a backdoor pilot, but like a slightly ajar door to the pilot of the Tortellis. Which premiered on the same night. So back in the 22nd of January 1987, people sat down, they watched Cheers. Up next that evening... The Tortellis. The continued adventures of Nick Tortelli as Loretta moves to her sisters in Las Vegas and Nick follows her with Anthony and Annie in tow. And uh, we've got a special announcement for all of our patrons who uh, are on our patron page. We'll be putting up our discussion on the first episode of The Tortellis today. And uh, so if you want to check out some additional content from us, go over to our patron and have a listen. Because I tell you what, there's a lot in The Tortellis and it's an interesting pilot. I mean, there's a conversation between Nick and God, which, you know, how do you want to not miss that? that that's... <laughs> Ooh. It deals with all the hard stuff, heaven, hell, and redemption. So if you thought Nick was bad, well, you need to see his redemption arc. So we'll be having that six-pack during that discussion of the bonus episode on our Patreon page. But what uh, what should we be toasting with our six-pack? New beginnings. New beginnings. I'd I say maybe to Kimberly Hill. I think that was just a really well-written episode. It was a lot of fun, which I, I enjoyed. Maybe a, a toast to Woody and to Fraser for their chess game. I thoroughly enjoyed that. No Beth Harmon, either of them. No, but unfortunately not. But, you know, I tell you what, though, that sounds like a good idea to me, James. Let's, let's raise our six packs. Six packs or six pack? How are you feeling? <laughs> six packs. You, one for you, one for me. Both for Nick, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. Thank you for listening to this episode <laughs> of Where Nobody Knows Your Name. <laughs>